Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and the show which began in September of 2019 was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. The library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Seniors Stray Talk, and they can also be downloaded on all popular podcast platforms. The show is now also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel, so please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For those listeners who are in SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, watch out for my upcoming five-day Caregiver Distress Recovery Challenge helping caregivers find a path to bringing much needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, a word I've trademarked, teaching self-care, self-kindness, and self-compassion strategies that will help you feeling recharged and re-energized. And family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics, which can be found on my website, www.phyllisamonassociates.com. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. And I'm beyond proud that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I'm looking forward to having an audio version of the book in the near future. So I appreciate your support and hope you'll spread the word on this all important topic. Seniors Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continues bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm also glad to welcome Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California as a sponsor. Olive Community Services is dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. I'm very grateful to my friend, Olive President Rubina Chaudhry and the entire team at Olive Community Services for their continued support. And before we begin, I have to thank a friend and longtime colleague, Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And now for today's guest, I'm so pleased that Dr. Majd Alwan has agreed to share his time with me on Senior Straight Talk. Dr. Alwan is a noted researcher and authority on aging services technologies and is leading AGE's Senior Vice President of Technology and Executive Director of the Leading Age Center for Aging Services Technologies, which is also known by the acronym CAST. 
Dr. Alwan is responsible for creating and leading a network of technology companies, providers, and research institutions focused on technology solutions for an aging society. The network advances the interests of older consumers, caregivers, and providers, and fosters opportunities for collaboration between provider organizations, technology companies, and research institutions in exploring product development, testing prototypes, evaluating technology, and deploying technology-enabled care models. Prior to joining CAST, Dr. Dr. Alwan served as an assistant professor and director of the Robotics and Elder Care Technologies Program at the University of Virginia's Medical Automation Research Center. And his research interests there included passive functional and health assessment, biomedical instrumentation, medical automation, as well as elder care and assistive technologies. Uh, Dr. Alwan received his PhD in intelligent robotics from the University of London's Imperial College of Science, Technology and Medicine, and a master's of science degree in control engineering with distinction from Bradford University. And he also holds a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Damascus University. So with that, Dr. Alwan, I, I, um, I don't wanna take up too much of the time because I want the listeners to really hear about all the wonderful work that you're doing at Leading Age and on behalf of seniors and communities in terms of technology, because especially with COVID, we became even more acutely aware, although those, although those of us in the industry were certainly aware that there were issues around technology and connection long before COVID came along, but. COVID helped tighten our awareness of it. And so I, I, I'm anxious for the listeners to hear about all your initiatives in that area. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, as you correctly uh, sort of pointed out, uh, we've, been, we've been aware of uh, the importance of technology because uh, since the inception of CAST back in 2003, right? And I was involved in, in CAST. Uh, I was serving on the uh, CAST's uh, sort of advisory board since inception. Right, I was recruited back in 2007 to uh, lead the CAST initiative and primarily to uh, help develop blueprints and guides for our members to make it much easier for them to better understand, plan for, select from commercially available products and implement and evaluate uh, some of the technology solutions that uh, could improve the quality of care for the residents, the quality of life for the residents, uh, the uh, efficiencies and, and, and productivity of the caregivers, reducing burdens of family caregiving and so on and so forth. So that's in a nutshell. And uh, again, uh, if there was a silver lining uh, for this nasty COVID virus that, that hit us like a ton of brick uh, back in 2020 uh, is the fact that we now as a society uh, understand the value of technology and know that, uh, for example, internet connectivity, not just any internet connectivity, but affordable 
adequate in terms of uh, capacity and speed uh, is and should be a utility available to anyone, including older adults, including those who cannot afford it, right? So uh, regardless of where those individuals live, uh, whether in, uh, in their home in the community or in an affordable housing unit, uh, equally, it should be also equally available in, in rural areas and affordable to those who live in rural areas, right? Yeah, so absolutely. So without, without technology, you and I know that well, uh, I, I, for one, would be out of a job because I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to, to work, uh, educate, and, and in, uh, participate in, in uh, conferences and events and speaking engagements and so on and so forth or run my program. Um, without the power of uh, the internet. And uh, similarly, uh, with the uh, sort of uh, significant uh, infection rates in, uh, among seniors and the, uh, the, the disproportionate negative impact it had on the uh, older adult population in the U.S., again, regardless of where they live, but mostly or more pronounced for those who live in nursing homes, uh, especially given the uh, restrictions uh, on uh, visitations, we've seen the, uh, the nasty impact of the rampant uh, social isolation, which was rampant before Absolutely. COVID, but Absolutely. was accentuated, right? Uh, significantly accentuated. So, um, uh, as 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 you as you said, um, uh, my my program, the, the the cast program at Leading Age, uh, we actually developed a tool focusing on social connectedness and engagement technologies uh, a, a little over four years ago, well before COVID, uh, primarily to raise awareness uh, among our members initially, right? Our uh, aging service providers who are, we have our members are 5,000 aging service providers right. across the continuum, as you well know. So uh, primarily we wanted all of them to learn more about what uh, solutions are available, not necessarily in terms of specific brands, but in terms of capabilities. Right. And how to look at uh, and, and, and sort of select these technologies based on the care setting where they, they serve uh, older adults, right. based on their business models, based on the specific characteristics of the older adult population that they serve. As you know, older adults are not created equally. Right. So, <laughs> right? So, so, younger adults, actually. Well, ex exactly. We're... we're, we're or any any human no, being, right? No, but I'm just saying in terms of technology, I mean, I have people that are 20 years my junior who um, they'll say, I don't know how to do that or all I know how to do is uh, send a message or answer a phone. I, I'm really shocked by that. But I do want to comment on one thing you just said, and we talked about this before we started, is that a couple of years ago, way before COVID, I was talking about people engaging with their families and loved ones with iPads around holiday celebrations, um, I had where I, I kind of got the idea from someone who told me that they were had difficulty traveling to visit their father from time to time. They had some physical limitations. And so she told me that what she did was she got an iPad for her father and an iPad for herself. And she would either um, 
order Thanksgiving dinner for him or make sure they had the same foods or whatever it was. And she'd set up the iPad and they would eat Thanksgiving dinner together. And I said, well, this is phenomenal. I mean, I've, I've worked in over 50 nursing homes. How many people don't have family or have family that live a distance away or the family can come for holiday celebrations or even a Sunday dinner? Wouldn't this be a wonderful thing? And I was talking about it for a few years. I tried to start, I started a GoFundMe page around the time of COVID. It didn't go anyplace, but I had been, t- like you, I recognized that and said, something has to be done to engage people. As we know, 50% of people in nursing homes don't have anybody to visit them. Absolutely. Actually, we, we, we first put out similar ideas and uh, celebrating a birthday, <laughs> right? In, in a vision video, uh, a forward-looking vision video that we created back in 2005. Wow. And had Jeff Bridges do the, the introduction. I would encourage people to take a look at the, uh, the cast website. So uh, again, this was on our radar screen way, way back then. But again, if there was, if there was uh, uh, sort of any silver lining is the fact that people have had to use it, whether I'm talking about both ends of, of the spectrum, whether it's the uh, family caregivers who had the, the, their only way of connecting and checking on their loved ones in, in retirement communities uh, uh, or nursing homes or whatever uh, care setting they live in, was only through two-way audio-video uh, sort of uh, communications, right? Or again, the, the older adults, even the ones that were not comfortable or familiar with the technology have had to uh, become familiar and, and learn it with, uh, again, support and assistance from, from the staff in some cases. But that on its own have led to uh, significant interest in as well as significant adoption of these technologies according to the two latest uh, sort of uh, surveys that we are aware of the AARP's uh, survey for those over 50 right. as well as the Pew Research uh, right. uh, Institute's uh, latest uh, sort of uh, results so uh, again uh, I, I think I think it's here to stay and I also believe it is uh, the areas of application of some of these technologies, especially the better designed ones that are that have, for example, the uh, the cybersecurity where you cannot get a voice call or oh, sorry, a, a, a video call from someone who is not in your approved contact list. Right, right. right. You would, you would, it would. It, immediately sort of filter it out and reject it. Um, uh, the better designed user interfaces for better accessibility uh, or even th- that cater for some uh, cognitive decline or cognitive deficits uh, where uh, you, the, 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 the screen would only show you the picture of the caller from your your. Uh, uh, from your contact list, and all you have to do is press the green button to answer, right, or, right, or the right. red button to to reject if you're if you're right. busy. And in even in some cases, there are devices that automatically, if if the the the, the functional abilities of the uh, uh, 
or the comfort level of the end user is is not there they would automatically pick up and at least open the the voice communication and right. then you have the 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 caller if it's an authorized caregiver for example they would have the power to uh, turn your camera on to, and 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 control essentially the device for you if you're unable yeah. uh, to you know, I was thinking as you're speaking that this is a wonderful opportunity for developing intergenerational programs where younger people who are more versed with this technology, I'm, um, I've been talking for a while. I know there are different programs around the country um, sure. in this regard, but I was, I was thinking of trying to develop one where I am uh, in Connecticut called be, be a friend program or something like that. I was going to contact high schools, middle schools, you know, in the fall maybe. And, um, this would be a great opportunity to have that intergenerational program pro programming where younger people can work, you know, meet with, um, older adults, learn from them, uh, appreciate who they are, understand what being older is, what it means and, and the value that that has to, not only to them personally, but in society. And then on the other hand, the older person could learn about technology and this younger person can be teaching them. It could be a wonderful, you know, peer building almost relationship. Absolutely, it would be it would be great. And as you said, there are several programs with different different aims and, and, and uh, sort of uh, uh, objectives. Some of them are more aimed towards training older adults, as you mentioned, on using the technology and providing uh, not only education and training, but also some technical support, right? Helping them troubleshoot if they have an issue with their, with their technology. Uh, some are more aimed at providing uh, free tutoring for low-income uh, students uh, by sort of retired sort of professionals, retired engineers, retired uh, teachers, and so on and so forth. Others are more uh, geared towards what you're describing, more of a, a more diverse social networks, right? right. To, to, to enrich the lives of, of both uh, parties right. uh, or all parties, I should say. So uh, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, the, um, uh, our, our tool in our latest update that we've done this year, uh, though, uh, as I said, our tool was initially designed for uh, professional uh, caregiving organizations, professional uh, aging services organizations. The the latest in the latest update, uh, we noticed um, we know that that communications is a two way street, right? And uh, we wanted to make sure that even those organizations that cannot afford, uh, we're not we're, we're not depriving. Uh, older adults who are living in uh, care settings that are run by organizations that do not have the resources, right? They're right. They're not providing their uh, uh, residents with the technology, and the residents cannot afford to get the technology on their own. Uh, we wanted to give family caregivers the opportunity to better understand what's commercially available directly to consumers that they can potentially buy and give 
to uh, gift to their to their uh, loved ones uh, and 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 be able to uh, achieve that that sort of uh, uh, reestablish that connection and and strengthen the uh, socialization and the social. Uh, engagement opportunities for those older adults. So, um, uh, so now you can you can select if you're interested in technologies that are uh, uh, you can buy off the shelf as a consumer. You can check that box on our online selection tool, and it will only give you the products that are uh, sort of uh, uh, available directly to consumers. So um, th that online tool. Mm -hmm. uh, how would people access that? And can you, um, and my next question is, how have the the um, technologies that are listed in that tool been chosen, or have they been vetted as to what's best, what's not best, or can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure, absolutely. Again, going back to the to the question or to the point about. Uh, uh, People are not created equal, right? And be, being different individuals, we have different social connected needs. Uh, each one uh, uh, sort of uh, is has different interests, different abilities in terms of accessibility, in terms of vision, in terms of hearing. So uh, I, I I don't like the uh, uh, the term. Uh, best in class, for example, because uh, it, it implies that we're looking for a one size that's going to fit all. So right. that's why I, uh, we designed our selection tools to cater for all the parameters, right? Uh, including uh, the needs for, uh, uh, for example, if you're hard of hearing, for the need for captioning, right? right. Uh, if you have arthritis and find it difficult to use a, uh, a mouse or uh, a, a cursor on a touch screen, we, we ask if there are uh, other sort of uh, uh, gesture control, for example, where you can control the, the, the software. Um, we also, uh, for, for those with vision impairments, we ask about those kind of, of accessibility in terms of increasing the, the zooming in, increasing the font, changing the, 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 the contrast, the color scheme, so to speak, uh, to improve the contrast for those who have vision, vision impairments. So these are important things to, uh, to consider Based on the individual, not 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 just um, uh, not on the technology. Based on the individual, exactly, right. exactly, exactly. And again, person-centered. Also... That's the uh, it's person-centered. Exactly. And again, similarly, on in terms of functionalities, uh, some people are more interested in just two-way video right. chat. Right, right. Others are more interested in reading stories. Right. Uh, others are more sort of tick more in uh, visual sort of seeing pictures of right. grandchildren and, and uh, others are more interested in email exchange. Right. So, again, we uh, we ask questions about all of these uh, capabilities. Uh, and again, also on the on the financial sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, ability to pay for or mm. uh, get, for example, uh, the 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 devices themselves are as helpful or smart as a brick 
if you don't have the the connectivity right and even if you have the connectivity but it's not adequate right, uh, right. it it can be frustrating if you and i had a uh, a dial-up connection and trying to have this conversation using audio video right, right. <laughs> well at that juncture we're going to take a short break and when we come back i want to talk about the infrastructure the importance of that absolutely um, and i also want to uh, re remember more than once to tell people how they can access uh, this information so we're going to take a break on senior straight talk we'll be back in a few moments with dr alwan and we'll continue this phenomenal conversation about technology and seniors and, and everything important for connection. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Dr. Alwan. We're talking about everything technology for engaging seniors and connection. And uh, right before the break, I asked about how people would access the information. So uh, can you tell the listeners and um, how they could find all, all about this? Absolutely. Uh, so again, uh, your listeners can go to leadingage.org slash cast. Uh, that would get them to the main landing page for the cast website. And uh, they, all they need to do is select the technology selection tools. That will get them to a page where there are nine different tools, including the social connectedness and engagement tool that we're specifically talking about. But again, as I mentioned, uh, this is only one of nine other tools that we have uh, there, uh, including if they're interested in, for example, telehealth, uh, medication management for their loved ones, uh, safety of their loved ones, like wandering or falls and, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, and by the way, all of these resources are free. Uh, all they need to do is uh, create, uh, provide their email address uh, and create a My Leading Age account. 
Um, and then they will have full access to all of these uh, resources that would save them months upon months of, of research because mm -hmm. we've done all the legwork on their behalf. Oh, that's terrific. So uh, in addition to that, so you, you touched briefly on the fact that obviously people have to have the, the infrastructure to be able to use these technologies. I mean, we all know how frustrating it is if your Wi-Fi goes down or, you know, there, there's something that happens, a storm or whatever, you can't connect anymore or the connection is unstable. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people or done a Zoom or whatever, and it says your connection is unstable. So what is, what's Leading Age's role or is there a role that Leading Age is playing in developing the infrastructure across the country, especially in rural areas? Absolutely. So uh, again, uh, internet connectivity uh, that is uh, available, accessible, uh, adequate, and and affordable, right, uh, is one of the a few uh, technology policy areas that we're focusing on, right. Uh, so, uh, for example, uh, uh, we're 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 advocating for. Uh, there are programs like the uh, FCC's Lifeline program, which is not many people are aware of, by the way, that's available to low-income families to get uh, subsidized uh, internet connectivity or phone line. The problem is that it's either a phone line or ah. uh, internet connectivity, right? And there's also, it's an involved process that may be uh, too complicated or too difficult for older adults with uh, with no internet connectivity to start with, to go on, on the website and, and right. uh, pro prove eligibility, provide proof of eligibility, and, and, and so on and so forth. And especially for uh, uh, sort of uh, older adults who live in affordable housing, uh, because there is no sort of public, uh, in many cases, there is no connectivity in the building anywhere Right. Okay. So uh, we're advocating for uh, connectivity to, to be uh, more easily available for older adults who reside in affordable housing. That's that's one aspect. Can I, I just want to interject sure. one thing from a personal experience. So I've worked in many buildings, as I've said, over 50 now. Mm -hmm. And many, many times uh, you cannot get into the network. Uh, they will not let you get into the network. You have to go to one person in the building who has a password and they will determine if they will let you get into their network. So here now people are in their rooms in all different places in a building. Uh, some can't leave their rooms. Some, you know, aren't that mobile. Some wouldn't have the wherewithal to be able to do that or find that person. So what initiatives can be um, can be developed around that because, I mean, I've seen this in more buildings than not. Absolutely. So again, as I told you, we now believe that uh, as COVID has shown us that internet connectivity should be a utility like electricity, like water and uh, available to every unit within the building in addition to the public places in the building and the and and the network that's available to uh, management and staff, right? Uh, so we we're advocating for for that. So let me uh, ask you a question: What is the reason that it's not? 
I've asked this in many buildings. I said, can you give me a reason why this is not the case uh, or why this is such a secret? <laughs> well, it's well, again, I think I think uh, as, as you know, uh, uh, if you it, it depends on your level of subscription, right? Uh, using if you have a few staff people, two or three people are using it for business applications, that, assuming that it's, it exists, right? Yeah, exactly. That the that the, the 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 provider organization that owns and manages the building has invested in the infrastructure yeah. and is investing in a dedicated internet connection. Uh, there are different tiers, and those tiers depend on the the the, uh, uh, the the cost of those tiers depend on the bandwidth needs. Right. So uh, it's it's to make it affordable for the provider, uh, they may also uh, they they may only offer it to for business continuity right. and business operations, right? But if you connect everyone in the building, especially this day and age where people are using their internet, uh, not only to send emails and, and uh, browse, but also to stream <laughs> media, right? right. Uh, that connectivity is going to be completely inadequate or the provider has to buy a much higher and more costly package that offers right. the bandwidth that... Right. Is, is adequate, right? So how is that going to be subsidized for all of these providers who are claim that they're hurting uh, financially? I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying, I don't know, but they, you know, they, they claim that they're they hurting. are, they and, are. And especially after COVID, I mean, I've been in many buildings, units are closed, beds are empty. Um, it's a, it's a very challenging time. So how, how would you get them, not you, 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 but how would they come to embrace the idea that now they have to spend a larger amount of the budget on this kind of infrastructure? Well, again, uh, the, this is where our advocacy comes in, right? We're advocating with Congress uh, right. to make more resources available uh, through the FCC, through uh, HUD and other other uh, agencies that sort of are concerned or or uh, sort of uh, manage uh, resources for uh, affordable housing providers to uh, sort of uh, appropriate and allocate funds for this, because again we believe it is now uh, a utility and should be available. On the other hand, in rural areas, I'm encouraged that there is interest uh, from uh, congressional leaders and uh, the administration in uh, improving the infrastructure, the internet infrastructure in the country. Correct. Uh, uh, and they're gonna be investing in improving the uh, accessibility and the availability of the internet. Uh, we're also uh, advocating to make it more affordable uh, right. to not only the individuals, and again, there are programs, I'm, I'm encouraged by a new program that the FCC received funding for through the last rescue package that would, uh, for the first time in history in the US, would reimburse or uh, subsidize the cost of the device itself uh, for up to $100. 
oh, uh, cool. initial cost in addition to the subsidy on the ongoing connectivity cost. Oh, that's right? phenomenal. Yeah. Right. So that's that's one thing that has been already achieved. But again, on the provider side, uh, uh, as you probably know, uh, rural healthcare providers, which include hospitals, physicians, and uh, as of 2015, uh, nursing homes uh, receive uh, subsidy on their internet connectivity up to 70 percent. Uh, uh, sort of out of the uh, uh, the the universal uh, telecommunications fund, right? Unfortunately, home health uh, agencies and home health care providers in rural areas uh, are having to pay to connect their their staff and to have their agency be uh, connected uh, a lot more than their hospital counterparts or right. nursing home counterparts because they were left out in the 2015 uh, uh, Rural Healthcare Connectivity Act. So we're advocating for uh, the inclusion of uh, home healthcare providers in rural areas into uh, uh, and be defined as uh, healthcare providers. The other side, <clears throat> What the, the other sort of uh, silver lining for the uh, uh, COVID is the, uh, the, the uh, sort of popularity of using social connectedness devices like your smartphone, like your regular tablet or iPad uh, for uh, what I call telehealth light applications, right? Yeah. To provide safe, timely and efficient access to healthcare professionals, whether it's your primary care physician or your, uh, or your specialist, right? Without sort of uh, forcing you to go into a clinic or uh, a healthcare setting where you might be exposed potentially sitting in the waiting room <laughs> with oh, other people who may have COVID, right? Yeah, correct. I'm glad you brought that up because that was my next question about telehealth because you had mentioned it earlier. So I'm so glad the conversation has led to that direction. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so again, uh, we've seen a multi-thousand times uh, fold uh, increase in the utilization. And again, on both ends, the consumer and the clinicians who were reluctant to utilize this technology have had to use it and have found the benefits uh, and have gotten used to it. And I firmly believe that they will probably demand it in, in, into, into the future because it showed them that uh, instead of battling with, with um, uh, transportation <laughs> arrangements and going and sitting in the waiting room for uh, 45 minutes to see a physician for 10 minutes. Right. Uh, and and, and then, I'm sorry not to interrupt, but, and in some cases, they have to have a care provider go with that person. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so now that person is outside of the building, either they, they pay for that person to come in to accompany that person to that appointment, or there's somebody from the building who has to accompany them, which is obviously taking away from the direct care providing in the facility. So that is another aspect of it that that presents tremendous benefit. Yeah, contributes. Absolutely. Benefit. 
So, so again, whereas you can, you can do it in, in addition to the factor of convenience, right? That you can, you can, you can do this much more efficiently. And, but none of this would have been possible uh, if CMS, the Center for Medicare Medicaid Services, did not waive some of the restrictions Correct. that were originally there in the law and the Social Security Act. Uh, which go, dates back to 1960, by the way, right, right. Uh, <laughs> on uh, the person's home, regardless of where that is, right. uh, being an eligible originating site that allows the, the remote physician to be paid for this service. Right. And, and they right. also had to allow a number of other services, the reimbursement. I mean, it took a while for it to, to come into play. Um, Absolutely. Now they're they're reimbursing for for therapy uh, by by a tele. Absolutely. Not all, but some. Um, I mean, this is really tremendous. Even thinking of transfers to a hospital to an emergency. Exactly. I mean, you have a, a resident um, at whatever time, and they're presenting certain symptoms before you send the person to the hospital. I mean, unless it's a dire emergency, it's it would be great for them to have that visit with the physician. And then the physician could determine, yeah, gee, the person needs to go to the hospital exactly. or guess what? They don't do this. It would uh, uh, tremendously cut down on uh, unnecessary or inappropriate hospital transfers and hospitalizations and would also uh, equally reduce the high rates of hospital readmissions within 30 days or within okay. 90 days because it allows the clinician to better manage those discharged from, from hospitals more closely. You know, I'm just, I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking of, some, as you're, you're, you said that, I'm thinking because there are um, penalties if Absolutely. people are, are readmitted to the hospital within 30 days. So what I'm thinking what is, wouldn't it be an interesting way to address that is to ensure that there is a telehealth visit before that decision is made. And then maybe that can mitigate the penalty that they would get for a hospitalization within that 30 days. Absolutely, that that could be one one way. I like to, that to, idea to address that, right? So uh, again, we're advocating for these restrictions that were waived under the health emergency, uh, the national health emergency, to continue after the health emergency, because again, it showed us. Uh, in in uh, on the ground, the benefits of telehealth that we've been sort of struggling uh, uh, to see sort of take off, unless if it was under a grant uh, right. or a special special uh, sort of program niche program, or available only. Uh, recently, uh, most uh, most recently, uh, Medicare Advantage plans have the flexibility to reimburse and, and cover telehealth visits, right? But it's only available to those who are enrolled in, in Medicare Advantage plans, which are less than 30% of the total uh, Medicare population, right? So, uh, so not only we're advocating for the continuation of those uh, flexibilities, but also for added flexibilities. Like, for example, uh, we know that uh, in skilled nursing facilities, uh, 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 
urban nursing homes were not an eligible uh, originating site before the before COVID. Uh, so we would like them to remain as an eligible originating site because guess what? They have the highest percentage of nursing home residents. Most of them are in urban or suburban areas, not yeah. in rural areas, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, that's that's number one. Number two, uh, now we're reimbursing the remote physician, but guess who is bearing the brunt and cost and burden of a upgrading the infrastructure, paying more for higher bandwidth, and also uh, having to hire and train more qualified staff to help the, the provider. remote physician. Yeah, it's the it's provider. the aging it's the aging service provider. provider correct. And, and now they get a, a, a very small, meager uh, reimbursement called the uh, the. Uh, uh, originating site fee, right. which is not nearly enough to cover any of those costs, let alone the cost of the sophisticated telehealth equipment, which is usually on a lease basis. They cannot, they, in, in some cases, they cannot afford to buy it outright, right? So it's on a lease basis. So we're advocating for that. Uh, another another aspect related to individuals who are aging in place, uh, right? Yeah. Aging in the community, which is a better term uh, from right. my perspective, uh, uh, who have, as we know, older adults have multiple chronic conditions. Yeah. And the mismanagement or lack of management of, of those chronic conditions usually lead to exacerbation. They lead to more hospitalizations more cost, and in some cases to disablement and loss of independence and having to be in a skilled nursing facility, which is higher cost, not only for the individual, if they are not on Medicaid, uh, and by the way, would get them on push them to, to spend down their uh, life their savings. And, and become a burden on the state Correct. and become eligible on, on Medicaid, by the way, right? Uh, why not? Uh, we've, we have CPT codes that allow physicians to re get reimbursed for telehealth, but it's the most underutilized code because mm. A, physicians did not have the time to look at the data uh, the reimbursement rate is low, uh, is not high enough to in incentivize them to be involved in the management of their uh, chronically ill patients. And uh, uh, three, I, I wholeheartedly believe that this is something where uh, a, a, a nurse, especially a telehealth nurse working with a home health agency, could be could play a better role than than the physician again under supervision and Correct. under uh, oversight from the primary care physician or the specialist or a, or a nurse practitioner I mean, or a nurse exactly or a nurse practitioner which, right which when I'm sorry but when which when people go to um, uh, like urgent cares. Uh, many of the people they see are nurse practitioners. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, <clears throat> why not uh, make nurses, therapists, 
and uh, maybe maybe uh, clinical care managers, uh, clinical social workers who are good at care management, eligible for asynchronous or, uh, uh, biometric remote patient monitoring for the purpose of uh, managing chronic conditions and triaging mm-hmm. and uh, triaging based on this. Uh, to whether to send the, 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 the patient to see the patient, to, to see the, uh, uh, their physician, titrate medications, change medications, or, uh, for example, to go to the nearest emergency room if it's an emergency, right? Uh, as opposed to waiting and waiting and waiting and then showing up in the emergency room with a broken hip because or, right or, or whatever however that condition has exacerbated whether it, it's diabetic it, or a high blood pressure exactly whatever it is absolutely absolutely so so that's another another sort of type of so we're we're advocating on both uh, the uh, administration front with CMS and CMMI we have designed to uh, administ- to demonstration programs right? If we know it's hard to change the, the, the payment model overnight, why don't we test a, uh, a new payment models that leverage the benefits of these technologies with the right providers, with aging service providers who are in close contact and touch with the older adult population that, where we spend most of our healthcare dollars and prove it first. But then if it's proven to be efficient and cost-effective, commit to changing the payment models, right? I think at that juncture, because I think this is like a a part two that we should do, (laughs) I really do, because I think uh, people may be interested in in leading ages or yours perspective of new payment models. I think that I was on a call with some people uh, the other night Uh, some physicians and um, professionals from all different areas who were advocating all kinds of payment models uh, because everybody, I believe, is recognizing that the system needs to be revamped in terms of payment models in order to provide the best care that we can for for the longevity of what's going to be needed for this increasingly aging population. Absolutely. So again, uh, the last word I want to say is that not only we're advocating for this at the administration level, we're also advocating for this or similar things to be uh, incorporated into uh, uh, sort of congressional initiatives, uh, right? Whether it's going to be included in the in the infrastructure, but we firmly believe, Leading Age firmly believes that uh, that uh, elder care or caring for older adults is an important piece of infrastructure, whether it's on the human capital side, whether it's on the technology side, whether it's on the payment models and, and, and uh, reimbursement side. Uh, that's terrific. And I just want to remind the listeners again that they could go to leadingage.org slash cast, that's C-A-S-T. And under that, they could, um, they could select technology. There are, uh, there are nine different areas. There's technology, there's medical management, there's um, um, 
uh, telehealth. Uh, safety, yeah. And, and they, can, they can also look at our technology policy priorities and the things that we're advocating for, that, that, as I mentioned. And, and on that note, if they find anything that they feel strongly about, I recommend they call their local representative, their local congressman, their local senator or congresswoman or senator and uh, advocate for these programs because I have um, a few months ago, you know, we used to talk about, or I used to talk about, and many people did about our future selves. And I've decided to I, uh, several months ago, I kind of shifted my thinking about that because that still remains something outside of us down the road that we can't really imagine. We don't want to imagine it. We may think about our future, but we don't see ourselves as an older person in that future. So I came up with this uh, concept that they were all emerging or evolving elders. And therefore, that process lives inside of us from the time we're young and that we should be embracing getting there. And then elders also um, connotes a kind of respect and wisdom. So like we would wanna get there because the alternative of not getting there is something nobody really wants to consider, right? So, Absolutely. Right, so that's, that's, my, um, that's what I've been talking about and advocating for. And I think that's an important part of this process. Uh, that we all embrace the fact that we we want to get there and we are getting there. Of course, you don't want all the conditions that go along with it. And that's a whole other discussion about quality of life and maintaining your health and well-being as best that you can. And um, But I think we need to have you back for us part two. And if you're willing to commit to that, I'd love to uh, be able to have you. So I'd be more than happy to. That would be great. So thanks for generously sharing your time on Senior Straight Talk. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, but then again, this is my passion. So anytime I have an opportunity to speak with somebody in this space that's equally passionate, it just, the conversation could go on and on. So, and I, I know the valuable work Leading Age does. And the first podcast, when I transitioned from a radio show to a podcast, my first guest was Katie Smith Sloan. So I'm Great. very proud of that fact. So Great. Join us on our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And this is Phyllis Amon signing off. Please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.